Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have with us a non-special non-guest, Dr. Lucas J. Mather. That's me. I also have a blue first place field day ribbon from Colorado Elementary School, a public elementary school in Jefferson County, Colorado, named after a Ute Indian chief named Chief Colorado, who was born Comanche. Well, we're talking about the definition of marriage again. This is uh, the fourth edition, and I'm going to do a quick rundown of the previous episodes just to, as a review. The first episode was an introduction, and we dipped into the idea of the legal materials, uh, what the purpose of looking at them from a philosophical point of view was, uh, getting uh, getting you prepared to be ready for some logic, introduction to logic with Irf, uh, Irving Copey. The second one was a look into informal fallacies that are relevant to the definition of marriage in American law and politics from Irving Copey. Uh, the third was a look into analogies, argument by analogy, and uh, the fallacy of weak analogy, what makes an analogy uh, break down uh, an argument. And that was, uh, again, using Copy and using the example of the analogy between race and gender in the definition of marriage as an example. And today, I want to talk about polygamy and get into the Obergefell decision uh, as you know, maybe uh, the anniversary of Obergefell was yesterday. Uh, it came down on the 26th, but like so many really uh, big decisions, it usually comes down in the end of June. Um, so let's start with the idea of polygamy. I have with me a dictionary from the New Testament and early Christian literature. It's a Greek dictionary. And I'm going to hold it up for people on YouTube. You can see it's a Greek-English lexicon. Okay. With, uh, well, it's edited by Danker and based on Walter Bauer. So this is an old established scholarly Greek dictionary of ancient literature, ancient Greek and I'm in the alpha, beta, gamma, delta. So I'm in the gammas and I'm in the word gamos, gamos. And gamos is the Greek word for marriage, okay? The word poly is also a Greek word and it means many. The word bi means uh, two. So poly means more than one. Um, and gamos means marriage. But what does gamos mean? What is the intention of the gamos? And uh, the word intention means what a term connotes the lexical definition of a term, the essence of a term, neither too broad nor too narrow, including all examples and leaving out all non-examples of the term. That's what we mean by essence. So there was a Supreme Court decision on polygamy back in the day called United States versus Reynolds or Reynolds versus the United States. And I'm going to share my screen there for those who are following this on YouBoob. Here it is, uh, Google Scholar, go to federal courts and you'll be able to go to case law and um, just search for Reynolds versus United States. And you want to look for the 1800s. 1879 sounds about right. I'm going to click on it. And uh, so it's 98 U.S. 145, uh, 1878 or 1879. I, I forget. It's one of those two. 
I think it's 1879. And in this case, there was a Mormon in the in the federal territory of Utah who was found guilty of the crime of bigamy by gammy. That means he had two marriages at the same time. Now, we're taking for granted we know what the word gamos means. It means um, the relationship between a man and a woman by which they become husband and wife and uh, something like that. That's uh, Oxford English Dictionary. 2013 or I don't know, 2015, I think it is. At the time of the Doma and Obergefell decisions. Um, and the Black's Law Dictionary at the time of uh, in 1891, when it when it began, was um, uh, the 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 definition that we read last time remember there was no racial criteria whatsoever in that definition that's very important i would have you go back and and read it but um here's uh black's law dictionary um once again oh look looks like that's pope's sorry well i, I might as well go ahead and read pope uh, benjamin pope this is 1920 a man who has law who has a wife or a woman who has a husband is married. Okay, that's the word married. And here's the word marriage from Pope. Yay, I'm gonna share share my screen again. How fun. There's only 80 of these left. Can you see that? Marriage. The word marriage is used in two senses. It may mean the solemnity by which two persons are joined together in wedlock, or it may mean their status when they have been so joined. The word marriage is used to signify either the act of entering into the marital condition or the condition itself. In the latter and more frequent legal sense, it is a civil status consisting in one man and one woman legally united for life for the, those civil and social purposes which are based in the distinction of sex. There's Pope, and that is um, his famous dictionary, 1920, called Pope's Legal Definitions. I'll show you my hand. This I'm sharing my screen again. My This is my hand. Go to my Substack for a little bit more on uh, screenshots of these these dictionaries these legal dictionaries that's my hand there j through z volume two pope's legal uh definitions from the law library where i was looking at them um but black's law dictionary is um let me get the right one that i want here Here's Black's Law Dictionary. A contract. According to the form prescribed by law, by which a man and a woman capable of entering into such a contract mutually engage with each other to live their whole lives together in a state of union, which ought to exist between a husband and wife. I want to point out a couple of things in that Black's Law definition. First, I'm going to remind you that there's no racial criteria whatsoever in that definition of marriage, uh, neither in Pope nor Black's Law Dictionary, which, by the way, go back into segregation. Uh, the same definition occurs in Webster's 1828. That's, of course, during slavery. Um, there's no racial criteria whatsoever in the definition of the essence of, of, of marriage. The second thing is that marriage lasts a lifetime. It does not depend on being able to procreate. The classical definition of marriage never depended on the ability to procreate. Not being able to procreate did not nullify a marriage. 
Okay. And that otherwise every old couple that you know that's married would not be married anymore as soon as the you know she hits menopause. So there's a there's a univocal sense here, which is very old and classical and historical, that the Goodrich Court said was vital, right? A vital social institution. We'll see that Obergefell has similar high praise and language for for marriage it's 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 great it's wonderful and oh but it's arbitrary can't be both can't be both why would you why would everybody want a piece of this if it was so arbitrary there's something that's not arbitrary here that people like a lot and uh it kind of reminds me of uh, Jesus. You know, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. You know, everybody likes Jesus. Well, but there's only one correct way to understand Jesus. <laughs> so there's still a truth of the matter, right? It's not just whatever you you want it to be. Okay, that's not the that's not the tradition. So polygamy, polygamy, is many of these at the same time. I'm going to go back to Reynolds here. So in the Reynolds decision, all right, so in Reynolds, U.S., uh, Reynolds versus the United States, this guy had been convicted of a crime, and it was a really stiff penalty. It was, it was pretty crazy. There's lots of interesting thing about this case, but for our purposes, we want to just preserve what the court decided. The court decided that, that uh, the criminal penalty for having two marriages at once, a man and a woman, and the same man and a different woman, so two different marriages, the same, one of the same relata, the, the husband, was a crime. And that crime was upheld against a constitutional challenge that this Mormon had said was violating his free exercise of religion. And, you know, we could have a great discussion about that from a First Amendment perspective about uh, what that, uh, whether that was a good decision or not by the Supreme Court, but that was the decision they made. And, um, bigamy the law against bigamy remained standing and in fact um my understanding of, of utah's entrance into the union depended on whether they would give up bigamy and polygamy as uh legal practices that they wanted they were previously advocating for and um this is a Republican decision. I mean, the Republicans are making this decision after the Civil War. And uh, and what do you know? Utah became Republican. So apparently we had some converts on that one. But the issue of what marriage is in essence was not at issue here. That was not challenged. So there was nothing to do with the definition of marriage, only how many of them there could be at one time. And so the classical definition of the one I'm arguing for, the classical concept I developed for a paper for Columbia University history professor. He's a Governor Morris history professor at Columbia University in New York. His name was Richard Bushman. He taught my religion and politics in America course, PhD course, um, oh, you know, about 12 years ago or so. I argued that the first definition of the spelling marriage implies theoretically it's a civil contract, one, between living to humans. I'm going to give you seven necessary conditions. So it's a civil contract between living humans of an age required for consent who are not closely biologically related. In other words, I love grandpa, but love does not win. I cannot marry grandpa. 
of the opposite sex from each other and who therefore number in their relata more than one, but not three or more. In other words, there's two people there. There's two in this union. There's two in this contract. And that's the classical essence uh, in terms of necessary conditions of, of marriage. And I'm going to say there's two types of marriage equality. There's classical and there's contemporary. Classical marriage equality is just what I just said there. All marriages, qua being marriages, are equal. You got a king and a queen. That marriage is just as equal, qua marriage, as the lowest peasants who are married. That's marriage equality. That, that's what we mean by marriage equality. Contemporary marriage equality ushered in through some of the lower court decisions and eventually in Obergefell, five to four, fallaciously. First of all, begs the question about what marriage means. They beg, the, the issue of what marriage means is precisely the issue. Secondly, they, uh, Justice Kennedy equivocated on the definition of marriage. Uh, he began using the term marriage in the classical sense, and somewhere along the way, he switched meaning to what I'm calling M2. And M2 is any close union, any close union. And where am I getting M2? Well, I got to share my screen again. I'm using the same definitions I, I referenced earlier. I'm using my MacBook Pro from 2013, which was the current definition at the time of Obergefell and the DOMA decision. And so you'll notice that there's a secondary definition I'm calling M2 to distinguish it from marriage one, marriage two. It's, it's two different spellings of, uh, sorry, one spelling of two different words, any close union, okay? Any close union, a mixture, a combination of two or more elements or any close union. And, and both of those secondary definitions, I think, mean the same thing roughly. And uh, they're usually never, they're usually, if ever, used of humans. They're not, they were never the legal definition for humans. So I'm sharing my my screen again from my paper from from 2015. Now this is where I'm going to start getting into Obergefell. From 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 1879 until, well, uh, 2013, the federal definition of marriage was essentially what you see in Black's Law Dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary. It was what was in common usage. Then the court started forcing people in different states a, little, a, few, a couple of years before that to talk differently. And... Um, I'm arguing that what they did was they switched M1 for M2 in law. That's what I'm arguing. And the legal rule that they used, I'm calling contemporary marriage equality. That that's the rule I'm I'm, I'm I've dubbed it contemporary marriage equality. And here's the legal rule. The classical definition of marriage, and you can get this paper on my Substack. Uh, it's not up there uh, as of right now, but it will be very soon, probably by the time you hear this. Contemporary marriage equality assumption is that classical definition of marriage, M1, seven necessary conditions, must become malleable to allow for the expression of minority sexual orientations in marriage. 
within the definition of marriage. Okay, I'll say that one more time. The contemporary marriage equality assumption is that the classical definition of marriage, M1's seven necessary conditions, must become malleable to allow for the expression of minority sexual orientations within marriage. So this is what Obergefell assumed, but never explicitly stated. And in fact, um, had they stated it, it, it would have probably clarified a lot in the dissents. We're going to get to this dissents, uh, not now, but in, an, in a future episode. The U.S. Supreme Court majority opinion in Obergefell said that substantive liberty interests that homosexuals have in marriage means that the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution requires the alteration of the classical definition across the nation. In this way, the classical definition of marriage, I'm quoting my from my paper, must be legally changed to accommodate the, the contemporary marriage equality assumption. The resultant new definition, the law of the land, is contemporary marriage equality. But the court never exactly spelled out in a dictionary or in a new DOMA or propositional eight kind of way what exactly the new definition is how many necessary conditions have to come off of M1 and why that definition, instead of something else, restrictive, more less restrictive or more. That is probably because as a progressive notion, it is inherently impermanent and therefore open to quote unquote progress and change. I'm going to continue here. My thesis is the decision in Obergefell versus Hodges and its rationale properly understood within a proper theoretical framework. You need a theoretical framework to even understand what they're talking about. Implicitly use as a legal rule what I call the contemporary marriage equality assumption to justify and set into place a redefinition of marriage in a new marriage regime in such a way that would include more than two people in a marriage or possibly just one person as a result, a result that the court seems to be unaware of. For example, in the second to last paragraph, the court asserts that no union is more profound than marriage. It's not clear what they're talking Which wh Are you talking about classical marriage or are you talking about any close union in forming a marital union two people become something greater than they once were that's quoting from the court the court nowhere clearly rules that marriage must be a couple as a necessary condition nor that being a couple is a sufficient condition according to m1 it being a couple is a necessary condition but that's the classical definition but the court rejected M1 as unconstitutional. Now, it is indeed hard to see how they could assert, that is Justice Kennedy writing for the majority, how, how the court could assert necessary conditions for a marriage given the lack of a limiting principle. Couple, after all, is part and parcel of the discriminatory traditional M1 definition, which the opinion had just dismantled in the name of protecting individual liberty of defining and expressing one's sexual identity and being, uh, I would add now, and being uh, praised for it or being accepted by it, which is, I think, what why people wanted the the term marriage. Um, they thought that that would give them a shortcut to acceptance. 
I think, at the time. I think that's what they really wanted was acceptance. Quoting myself again, the court assumes implicitly the contemporary marriage equality assumption, which itself relies on an implicit analogy between sexual orientation and race to create the illusion of progress, to argue that the Constitution requires taking off necessary condition number six, the opposite sex requirement, from the classical definition, thereby broadening the definition. The resultant new definition is parasitic on the tradition, but comes at the expense of it. Progress is defined in terms of a parasitic eating away at the tradition. There's no limiting principle spelling out by this court of how far this thing goes. What are the limits of progress? But since the opposite sex requirement generated the couple requirement, if number six goes, number seven goes as well. No rational person beyond the tradition is undergirded. No, sorry, no rational reason beyond the tradition or history classically understood is undergirding the couple requirement, the number seven of the necessary conditions. More than that, though, the expression of bisexuality in marriage requires the couple requirement to go. I remember, I remember giving this lecture to my students, and they were so upset. They were so, no, what are you, first of all, can't definitions change? Well, maybe. That's typically not what happens in language, though. Can definitions change? Typically what happens is a new definition gets added to the dictionary. It doesn't replace entirely what was, what was in the dictionary for hundreds of years. I can't think of a single example besides these, this cluster of concepts around marriage, like spouse, like widow, widower, like man, like woman. I mean, all these, I mean, look, you, you go to these dictionaries not very long ago and get, for crying out loud, get printed dictionaries. They go through a huge process. It wasn't that long ago. You look up the word guy. It means human being. It, it means male, human. Same with man. You know, my my uh, first year college students who are women insisted that they are fresh men, freshmen. You join the Navy and you're E1 and you're seaman recruit, even if you're a woman. There was a recent headline just in the New York Times, I think it was, that was talking about unmanned flights to Mars, and they weren't saying that only females were on board. We still use the word man in this way. If I run, if I get drunk and run over an old lady, that's manslaughter. And I, I can't get out of it by saying, no, no, you don't understand. She was a woman. There, there's a host of these terms, and we're, we're coming up on July 4th. All men are created equal. It's amazing how people don't even know what that word means. It means human being. Hello? It's still in common usage. But there's a cluster of these concepts which are being replaced in dictionaries. That's typically not what happens with language. Like, for example, I'm doing this on an Apple computer. I I'm going to go to the grocery store today and I'm going to look at the apples. The definition of apple is still in the dictionary. It doesn't get replaced just because Steve Jobs 
looks at uh, at the grocery store and says, hey, I want to name my computer company after that. And now people are using th that spelling to refer to a computer. It doesn't replace the definition. It adds to it. But that's not what's happening with these this new redefinition regime. And I'm, I'm worried about it because it's it's by force. And it's it's not a it's not an organic development in the uh, in the language and and the legal implications are troubling to me, um, to say the least. On it, I didn't like how this thing went. Now let me talk about what I mean about what my students being upset about what I just shared about bisexuality. When you get into the uh, amicus curiae, like from the American Psychological Association and stuff like that, they were briefing these courts. Um, I read their brief uh, to the court in California, for example. And they said that there are three sexual orientations. They said there's homosexuality, there's heterosexuality, and there's bisexuality. None of them are reducible to the other. They're all discrete. They all exist. They're all permanent. They're, there's a discrete population in each case. And if, if I'm correct, and the best way to understand Obergefell is that they used a legal rule that said that uh minority sexual orientation minority sexual orientations have to be ha have a, a new power in the definition of marriage a new power and that new power is they can change the essence of the term. And if that's true, and bisexuality is a discrete orientation, then that means that we have to allow bisexual marriage. You might say, well, no, 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 marriage is still a couple. Well, how do you know that? You know it because it's part of the essence of marriage, but how do you know it's part of the essence of marriage? Well, because of the tradition and the, the history and the definition, the very thing that we started chipping away at and we started saying, can't definitions change? And well, if, that, if that's the rule that definition can change whenever a, a sexual orientation is not expressible because of the definition, then that's exactly according to the court, what has to happen in the future. When I talk about the nature of definitions philosophically, I go back to the pre-Socratics, Her Heraclitus, and I contrast it with the Platonic tradition, Plato. Heraclitus believed that, well, he famously said that you can't step into the same river twice. I believe that what he meant, and the significance of that quote is, that everything changes, that things are constantly in flux. Plato, the Platonic tradition disagrees with that. Definitions don't change concepts because otherwise you wouldn't be able to talk you wouldn't be able to think to be able to talk and think you have to be able to have stability in the mental world like even when someone says can definitions change i always say well you're using the term definition you're using the word change you're using the word can can words change i mean can dictionary change well what's what's dictionary i mean to, even to ask the question requires a stability for communication to occur 
And, um, you know, the Heraclitus quote, I don't, I don't think that a softer interpretation is very interesting. I usually ask, well, what does it mean if you can't step in the same river twice? And my students say, well, because the water's different. Okay, well, but that's not very profound to say that the water, those water molecules are different. I mean, it's like saying the sun uh, came up this morning and put it on a coffee mug or something. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to buy that coffee mug. I mean, that's stupid. It's a stupid quote. It's a stupid thought. I think he meant something more fundamental. I think he meant you can't put the your foot in the same river because everything is changing. The river is changing. Riverness is changing. Your foot is changing. Everything is constant. It's funny watching students grapple with this. Even change is changing. Now, if if change is so fundamental as that, no wonder he wrote in fragments. What else is there to say? Plato wrote in long dialogues because there was something to say. You could under the 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 concepts would 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 be there graspable by the intellect and and expressible language throughout the whole dialogue so that you could learn something. And if riverness is is changing, if change is even changing, and change means become different, classically understood, then that means that change to become different would then to become different would have to be to stay the same. But if, if change means to stay the same and it became different from become different to stay the same, did change really change? And if you're totally confused on this point right now, that's exactly the point. Words have to mean something from beginning to end and there has to be stability for you to understand anything or for you to learn or for there to be progress. And that's the, the fruitfulness of the Platonic and Aristotelian tradition in terms of theory. So, I mean, these are very old words. I have a damn Greek dictionary over here. Freaking gamos, polygamos. These are not new concepts. These are old. We're talking about the essence of them. So if you can just change it willy-nilly because some people who are not interested in it want the word to refer to what they are interested in, what are the implications of that? I'm going to make an analogy. I'm going through the grocery store. I'm looking at apples. And I want apple equality. I I don't like apples. I'm not particular. I'm not interested in apples. Apples. Okay. If I'm a homosexual, and I'm I'm let's say I'm I'm someone like Rock Hudson, for example, who is homosexual. He was married. He, he consented to being married. He entered into that contract. Now, it might have been that really he wasn't that interested in it. He he was not interested in the woman he was married to in that. And he and maybe it was an act of will for him to to do that. And but he he did do it. He he did get married. And uh I didn't say he did, got traditionally married. I mean, he got married. He was married, man and a woman. But he didn't like it, I guess. Now, if I don't like apples, I start talking about the oranges, but I'm not using the word orange anymore because I think that you might not like me as much if I use the word orange for oranges and I use the word apples for oranges. And I, I want you to start calling the oranges apples too, because I like oranges, 
but the oranges are not historically as wonderful as apples, according to other people, the majority. So I'm going to start calling uh, oranges apples. I think something like that is going on with the word marriage. It, the, it means something and it meant something. And there was a segment of the population that just weren't interested in that. And that's okay. I mean, you don't have to be. It's by consent. You know, age required for consent. Nobody's punished for not being married. That's not how the regime works. You're punished for having too many marriages <laughs> at the same time. But you're not punished for being not being married. But it's such a wonderful thing that you want a piece of that. You want a piece of that, but you want to redefine it to something you are interested in so that you can be accepted. And I think that's manipulative. I don't know what else, what other word to say. And I think it's got unintended consequences, like so many things in law. You have a discrete sexual orientation, bisexuality. It really does exist. And my question is, what is a bisexual marriage? Well, you still could uh, marry a man or a woman. But... No, 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 I'm not talking about what you could do. Rock Hudson could marry a woman, and he did. The best, best evidence of what is possible is what was actual. He actually did. Plato had sex with guys. And he would say that marriage is between a man and a woman as necessary conditions. He didn't think you could change the definition of marriage just because he wasn't interested in it. That, that's not how it works. It is what it is. And it's not what it's not. I'm hoping you're getting this. I, you know, if you establish a rule that you can just redefine it because some people are excluded, well, I'm telling you, you have to define it and the new definition will exclude. So my question to you is, why is that exclusion okay? Let's say that there is a bisexual thruple or a quadruple, four people living together. And that is, of course, traditionally not the same thing as marriage at all, right? I mean, I don't think it's the same thing as marriage. Why? How do I know that? Well, because historically and classically, Marriage is two people as a necessary condition, not three. I'm going to share my screen again. Here's a Reason Magazine post. I, I took a screenshot of it. This is from a couple of years ago. Reason Magazine, Cambridge, Massachusetts will become the second U.S. city to legalize domestic partnerships between three or more people. They're called polyamorous partnerships. Let's get clear about what I mean, though. I mean that the number of people in this union is more than two, goes against the tradition. But the tradition, if it's discriminatory, must allow this. If love wins, then... All of these necessary conditions are up for reconsideration. All of them. What are those necessary conditions again? Well, a marriage is a civil contract between living. I can't marry someone dead. It's not, it has nothing to do with hate. It has to do with the definition. I can't marry Aristotle. 
I loved Benjamin Franklin, but he's dead. Love doesn't win there. Humans, I love Walmart, but I cannot marry Walmart. I may like cactuses. You might think that there should be pain in marriage, but I can't marry a cactus. Don't picture it. I cannot marry a non-human. I cannot wait for that to come up. Of an age required for consent. Not closely biologically related. Well, let's camp out there for a second. Lexical definition should not be negative where it can be positive, but doesn't, doesn't mean that you can't put any negative criteria in there at all. I mean, you want to focus on the positive. Sometimes you have to, it's, you got to put something negative in there. And I think this is an example of there. Marriage does exclude those closely related. Um, I wouldn't say, I don't know if I'd say this is a logical necessary condition. I think it's, um, I'd have to reword it, something to do with the wisdom of the ages. <laughs> but I, I can think of, um, you know, immigration examples, for example, where uh, maybe there's a U.S. citizen and then there's uh, a brother or someone who's a non-citizen. We had no intention of living together as husband and wife, which is the definition of a sham marriage, according to Black's Law Dictionary 2006. If that's been struck down as an inappropriate definition for marriage in law, and, and the rule is that the tradition must give way to uh, an expanding set of other populations and other situations that want the word marriage and the benefits of marriage. And I love my brother. Why couldn't I marry my brother? The historic reason for disallowing marrying someone that's closely biologically related is rationally related to procreation and opposite sex requirements. If we're the same sex, how is there that rational condition? What about marrying myself? <laughs> oh my gosh. You think that we're off the reservation here, but I, I, I tell you for years I've been talking about this. And if you look this up, you will find examples. You'll find examples of people that thought they married themselves. So Google uh, Anderson Cooper woman marries herself. Enjoy. My favorite is that Anderson Cooper is interviewing this lady as if, he, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. That's a same-sex marriage. You know, you'll notice that there's all sorts of craziness coming out. Once you lifted the lid on some of these definitions, it's crazy. It's pandemonium. You didn't have that before. I saw a video of a pride parade where there were naked adults around children in public. How far is this thing going? What are the limits of progress? Notice they keep changing the flag, by the way. Gosh, you can't even keep the same flag for a couple more than two years. It's not just definitions. So I think there's a univ uh, univocal concept here. There's nothing hateful about it. I think it refers to something that actually exists. I think striking it down as a matter of federal or state law 
in the courts uh, relied on the fallacy of equivocation, the faulty or weak analogy between race and sexual orientation, and begging the question fallacies. And to the extent that they commit fallacies, they don't have the authority that they would normally expect from a legal decision. Obergefell versus Hodges overturned Baker versus Nelson. And I'm going to show you that decision here on Google Scholar. If you're listening, just go to Google Scholar, go to Minnesota, and uh, click Baker, uh, type Baker versus Nelson 1971. If you look at the first footnote in Baker's versus Nelson, it says Webster's Third International Dictionary, 1966, this is member 1970s, uh, gives the primary meaning to, uh, definition as the state of being united to a person of the opposite sex as husband or wife. Black's Law Dictionary says marriage is a civil status condition or relation of one man and one woman united in law for life for the discharge to each other and the community of the duties legal incumbent on those whose association is founded on the distinction of sex. Same with Pope, same with Black's Law Dictionary going all the way back. Same with Webster's 1928, or sorry, 1828. And I've looked in the in the Claremont archives, you know, really old dictionaries. And what the court in Minnesota decided in Baker versus Nelson was that that's the way the term is used in the statute. That's how the statute is defined um, and it's not merely stipulative it's a lexical definition if if there was going to be a new stipulative definition uh, the legislature would have to do it not the court and so i do think that as a matter of law the legislature could do it i, I think the legislature could stipulate a broader class um, with certain conditions that are exclusive uh, for members of the class of the types of relationships that would count as marriage. And that would be up to the discretion of the legislature to do that. It would be a, a matter of will because uh, with language, um, we sometimes use a lexical definition. Sometimes we give an additional meaning for the purpose of law. And that might be appropriate if, you know, but the way this thing went down was it was courts doing it. And the courts were enforcing a meaning contrary to the lexical definition on people. Taking away the legislative discretion to continue talking the way using English, basically. And, uh, um, That's the problem. Well, I've enjoyed this uh, section. For more information on these papers, I would highly suggest you look at my papers on Substack. That's the Republican professor on Substack. And catch you later.